here. Uh, let me open in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this uh, wonderful time here to gather around your word, to know more about you, Lord God. Uh, your character, Lord, is just awesome. You are just awesome, Lord. You're all-powerful, Lord. Thank you. You're almighty, all-knowing, all-wise. You're everything. You're all in all, Father. Thank you for the way you describe yourself in the scriptures. So now as we come here, Father, we'd like to study this portion of your awesome character, um, your sovereignty, Lord, and how it relates to suffering. And Lord, help us to um, share from your word these truths about how to transform our thinking about trials and suffering. We pray for your spirit to do your work in each one's heart, including mine, I pray. In Jesus' name. Well, um, let me read a scripture verse here. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians, and I mean, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I guess that's part of what we're doing here today is we're trying to help comfort people with the comfort with which we've been comforted in our trial that we had in the loss of a son 10 years ago to drugs as he was taken away in uh, the idolatry of drug enslavement and to the ultimate death of his, you know, he was killed by the police officer. And so. What we, at that point, were challenged to is, you know, where is God? You see, where is God in all this? You know, we raised our son in a Christian home. He was, he was in, a, in an environment that was scriptural. But he, in his heart, had chosen to do the things that he wanted to do and ultimately became a fool. But where is God? <laughs> you know, and we had to check out our thinking on, on God's sovereignty, you know, in our lives, huh? And, and, you know, what about God in these moments? So we're, we're here to help share what we've learned a little bit about that, about how to think in these moments, and, and we've learned from the seeds of experience and pain, you see. So Lord, help us, I pray. That's what I pray, is that uh, somehow we can, we can transmit this information to you well enough. And, and again, you know, if you have a question or something, feel free to know, stop if you need to ask something. Don't be afraid. I don't want to just ramble, <laughs> you know. Uh, but we'll be, I'll be sure we get through the teaching well enough, okay? We have an hour. So, um, so how do we, how do sufferers transform their thinking about trials? It's a good question. You know, how do we, because a lot of times when we're in these situations, don't we say, why me? Right? Or me. And even woe is me. And even pity me. You see. And a lot of times when you're going through these 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 types of things, people will even um, induce you to feel this way because they look at you in such a way that you they almost you almost become pitiful in their eyes. You're pitied by them, you see. And they can they can cause you to be drawn into their pity if you don't become careful with how, to, how you should walk through these types of troubles, right? So, um, you know, we, we have to think in terms of how should we think and what should we do. And uh, Armand uh, Tiffey, uh, he wrote the book Transformed into His Likeness. It's in the back over there. And uh, he uh, has... Um, the put-off and put-on principle in the scriptures that he talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, where we're to put off the old man and to put on the new man and be renewed in in our thinking, you see. And and Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we're to to be renewed in your mind with the word of God, with God's word. And then we're supposed to put on biblical responses, you see, that would please the, please God. So, We've got to put off sinful responses. We need to put on, renew our mind in God's word, and we need to 
put on biblical responses that would please God. And he, in his book, says this, that the process of renewal is the spirit of your mind is in the inner person, the core of your being, your motives, the desires, the attitudes, and the thoughts. It is the inner disposition of the heart which influences your behavior, action, reactions, choices, decisions, and words. And that's by Armitiphian transformed into his likeness. And I think it's well said. So we, we have to put off bad thinking, think right in God's word, and learn what pleases God. It's just basically. Uh, can you go back one slide? They have control. Or no, you have the control? Okay, I've got good. the control. All right. I don't know who's got control. Only God has control, right? Okay. Um, and then what we learned was our theology really matters in, in, in these moments. And, you know, our, our theology, and you might say, well, what does theology have to do with suffering? Because, you know, we're in pain and we're in agony and we're hurting. But theology has a lot to do with suffering. You know, theology, when you look at it, it comes from two Greek words. It's theos, which means God, and logos, which means word. And compounded, it means the study or science of God. Okay? So this includes God's existence, nature, revealed plans and actions, his relationships and dealings with the world and with man as revealed in Scripture. And a proper theology of God is necessary to help sufferers understand their pain and bring glory to God in their suffering. And a proper theology of God motivates sufferers to trust God. And that's with no matter how they feel. And it teaches them to place their faith in him, no matter how they feel. The proper theology of suffering. Okay? And a proper theology of God helps counselors to teach and exhort sufferers in sound doctrine. And also to refute those who contradict it. There'll be times when you'll have to refute those who contradict things that aren't proper and right. Um, Jerry Bridges in Trusting God in his study guide says this, if we are to trust God in adversity, we must use our minds in those times to reason through the great truths of God's sovereignty, wisdom, and love as they are revealed to us in the scriptures. We must not allow our emotions to hold sway over our minds. Rather, we must seek to help I'm sorry, we must seek to let the truth of God rule our minds. Our emotion must become subservient to the truth. Subservient to the truth. That's what has to happen in these times, the emotions. This does not mean that we do not uh, feel the pain of adversity or heartache, heartache. We feel it keenly. Nor does it mean we should seek to bury our emotional pain and a stoic-like attitude. We are meant to feel the pain of adversity, but we must resist allowing that pain to cause us to lapse into hard thoughts about God. And in 2 Corinthians uh, 10.5 says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I can tell you, I've seen very close friends that have been Christians a very long time and have served in spiritual positions in the church have this happen to them. It's all around us. It's happening in your church. And it saddens me because God never intended for this pain to cause them to fall away with hard thoughts about God. You start to doubt God, his love and his wisdom and his justice. You see? And, and it's hard because the pain will take, the, take their thinking into improper thoughts about God, hard thoughts about God. And you need to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And then you break down the strongholds that come from the bitterness that come from the pain, right? And really, it's ultimately anger toward God if he's in control of all things, isn't it? It's really, you're just angry toward God. Um... And we, we can't be conformed to this world, it says in Romans 12, too, but we must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you may prove what is the will of God, 
that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay. So how does God's providence in suffering, what is God's providence and, and sovereignty in suffering? God's, uh, what is God's providence? God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his glory and the good of his people. And, it's, and the idea here is to, to note the absolute, term, absolute terms, constant care and absolute rule of all creation. And what did Pastor Armand say the word all means in the Greek? Okay. And I'm not a Greek scholar. I'll just go off of his authority. <laughs> so it's the constant care and absolute rule. Nothing, not even the smallest virus, escapes God's sovereign care and control. And, uh, you know, I think of this Capital One commercial. It's, it's been a little time since, uh, since it's been on, but where the guardian angels are sitting there watching the person they're supposed to watch, and then they turn their head for a second, and then something tragic happens to the person they were watching, and they're going, oops, oops, you know, that, that shouldn't have, I made a mistake, you see. That isn't God. God has constant care and, and uh, an absolute rule, you see. And Ephesians 1.11 confirms this. It says, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And 1 Timothy 6.15 says, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is blessed and, and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Okay. So God's in control. Uh, and so what is God's sovereignty? And God's sovereignty is his exercise of power and rule as king over his creation. Sovereignty means God is all-powerful and able to do his holy will. That's by Wayne Grudem out of his book, Systematic Theology. And the, the word of God says in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? You see? And uh, we just heard about uh, the power of God, the might of God. I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Amen? Do we believe it is the question. And how do God's providence and sovereignty work together? God's providence is brought about through God's sovereignty. You see, providence is what God has ordained and willed to happen before the foundations of the earth will happen because God's sovereignty, his power, will make it happen. You see? And, and providence is basically what's behind us. Anything that's behind us as we walk forward is what God meant to be. You see? And he... He does that for the reasons that he so, so desires, you see. And God will produce those with the power that he's able to do them with, you see. Now let's look at some examples of God's providential sovereign hand in both good and, good and evil, okay. Um, Isaiah 45, says, 45 7 says that he's the one forming light and creating darkness, He's causing well-being, and he's creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these. Lamentations 3.38 says, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? And uh, Job 2.10 says, But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we accept good from God and not adversity? And Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, in the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. And no one can act outside of God or against his, God's will. See, the problem we have is that for people to look at God being involved in both good and evil, they think God's evil. But you're never going to understand that mystery. You see, there's a mystery there. You understand the hypostatic union where God... Jesus is 100% God and 100% man? Do we understand the Trinity? Where there's, you know, one God, but he's in, in three people? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Right? Do you understand how your will and God's will mix? These are mysteries <laughs> that we live with. 
in, in Christianity. And, and how can, then, then, then it shouldn't be too far of a reach for us to understand that somehow God, the scriptures that are so clear here that, that you just want to ignore because they're hard to understand, that you would say that he's evil because of them. You see, I could say that he's in control of them and he's not evil. You, anybody in here think God is evil? No. But when you look at these scriptures, what does it seem to indicate? That he's, he's creating a lot of havoc, isn't he? The one causing well-being and creating calamity, right? And, and uh, isn't it from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? There's, there's many more of these verses. It you know, just shows you that God is in control. That's what we're trying to say here. And to me, that's a comfort to know that God's in control. If I trust him being wise and loving and just, and I believe that's part of him, right? So, and again, no one can act outside or against of God's will. Um, Augustine stated centuries ago that nothing therefore happens unless the omnipotent wills it to happen. He either permits it to happen or brings it about himself. And, And I like that Augustine from centuries ago said that. There's a continuity of thought in this idea that God is in control. Isn't, doesn't that bring some comfort to you that we're not the first Christians that think in these terms? So um, and I just like that, that comment. And Lamentations 3.37 says, Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Amen? It's the Lord who's in control. Not, not no devil. So. It's also not random chance or luck. And I think a lot of times in our world especially, oh, I feel so lucky. I've, oh, it was just, you know, a weird coincidence. Or, oh, wasn't that an amazing thing? just happened by chance. That is not God's way. And everything that we've heard from Fred so far clarifies that God is in perfect sovereign control of all. And so to think that it's random chance or luck is actually completely unbiblical. It's very important for us to teach ourselves that, and it's very important to teach our counselees that. Mm-hmm. So because man is... Oh, I'm, I have to keep up with this, too. To I'm not it? good at this. <laughs> I'll try. I'll keep going. All right, so random chance or luck. So let's first of all, let's look at some definitions. Random, it means without plan, without order. Chance, the unpredictable element in occurrence which to me sounds like life in general. It's unpredictable, except that we know God's in control of it. Then we have luck, which is a trend of chance events. These are all Webster's Dictionary definitions. Yes, I can. (laughs) Yes. Good luck. I'll help her out. We're newbies. (laughs) Oh, go back one more. Push to the left. I did. Okay. You're the man. All right. Just wait a minute until everybody catches up. But like Fred was saying, um, I think that the world has this idea that God is just somewhere out there. Remember that song from, um, I forget the, the name of it, but Fievel? Do you remember Fievel in the little cartoon? And he was the mouse, and he's singing, Somewhere out there, beneath the pale moonlight, someone's thinking of me. And it's, I think we think about God that way, and that is not the case. God knows every hair on our head. He knows every breath we take. He knows our standing up and our sitting down, our going in, our going out, our lying down, our standing up again. He knows all of those things. So to think that it's random or luck or, you know, it's just a chance event, that is not in keeping with what we know about providence, God's constant care and absolute control over creation. So then we think of that guardian angel that Fred was talking about. And the, I, I went back and looked at those commercials because they're crazy. They make you laugh out loud, but they're terrible. You see this angel, and he is running behind some guy who's on his cell phone, and he's on the, on the phone with his wife saying, yeah, yeah, I'm just getting ready to board. And the angel's reading the book of flight rules for the plane, and so he's like he's messing around with this book. And the guy steps out because he's on his phone not paying attention, and he falls right to the tarmac because the plane already pulled away. And the angel says, whoa, I totally spaced out on that one. I think that people think that, oh, well, that couldn't possibly have happened. A good, loving God would never have allowed that to happen, so he must not have been paying attention. It's a crazy way to think. He's not 
um, he does not limit his sovereignty. He does not react to man's uncertain actions. He's never contingent. He's never dependent on our will, on man's will. He doesn't run around patching up mistakes, like putting his finger in the dike to catch all the holes of the water that's coming out. Fred, you need to move forward. They're, they're going like this to you. Right. We're newbies. Please give us grace. Right. <laughs> Just keep telling us to move forward. <laughs> yeah, get to the one about mistakes. There it is. Um, We're trying to get into the 21st century. Sorry. Yeah, we're a little behind. <laughs> and there, but there is a mystery in God's sovereignty and his providence. Um, it's, anybody ever heard the word antinomy? Okay, it's, it's, um, the definition of it is an apparently unresolvable conflict between two equally true and valid things, just like Fred was talking about with a hypostatic union, God fully God, God fully man, Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, we can't explain it, but we know that it's true. We can't resolve it, but we know that it's true. That's an antinomy. Well, that's the situation with this as well. Um, God limiting his sovereignty would be no different than chance or luck or fate. I am so thankful that God is sovereign and that it's not a matter of luck or chance and that there is ever a time when he just spaced out and wasn't paying attention. It's comforting. It's very comforting. God limiting his sovereignty is man's way of trying to answer the question, why? as it relates to suffering and evil. Jerry Bridges in Trusting God gave this quote, A Christian friend, in an effort to comfort the bereaved wife and mother, said, One thing I can be sure of, God had no part in that accident. Mm. According to this friend, God was looking the other way when the pilot got into trouble. A sparrow cannot fall to the ground without our Father's will, but apparently a plane with Christians aboard can Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That's how precious we are to him. That's how much he knows every hair on her head. He is completely aware, completely in tune. He knows each one of us individually and perfectly and intimately. He knows what's going on. I found so much comfort in that. Because of that knowledge, I learned, and it was hard, but I learned to stop thinking the question, why? Don't ask the question, why? Why? Really, it's not important. You need, I'm sort of starting to learn how to respond by saying, well, why not? Why not me? Why should it be somebody else? Why not me? Why not whoever? So, par pardon? Pardon? Yeah. Yes, it is human. Yep, they have. No, it isn't. You know, and, and he gave our daughter a certain amount of time. That's right. Sharon's son a certain amount of time, and that's all we're going to get. So part of the reason we, we teach this and, and we try to be redemptive with our trial is we want people to apprehend their capacity to, um, to glorify God a little quicker in those moments, you know, and we want their faith to be strong in action, you know, and that's why the, the emotions have to become somewhat subservient. From the day that we, the moment we had the trial, I have a video. We were, we were. Uh, one of the books I read was the Upside of Down, and, and, and one of the chapters, Joseph Stoll said that the 
platform the power of Jesus and it will bring the most glory to God. And when I, what I did was I grabbed my Bible and I held it up here when all the news channels were coming because it was caught on a dash cam and, and we had every news channel from all, all, all over the area. And I just was determined to, to show the goodness of God in our lives in spite of the trial, you know, that we were going through. And so we're trying to teach that this is normal to go through suffering, that, that Jesus promised to us that in this world we're what? Going to have tribulation. And it's an opportunity, it's really an opportunity to glorify his name. It's like a faith assignment, you see? So that's why we're doing it. We want to help prepare people. You know, to, to, for, the, for the, what Jesus promised. He promised the glory that, we, that he, we're going to have trials. Like I said, I had to teach people to, how, to, how, to, uh, how to grieve with me because they were pitying me. And, you know, and I, I, told, I would teach them that, well, pray for us that our faith may not fail. Mm-hmm. You, know, w- you know, weep with us and grieve with us. You know, and, uh, but I didn't want their pity, and I was feeling their pity right, right at the funeral home. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, if this happened to me, what would I do, you poor thing? You know, it's like, ugh, gross. And I was like, no, <laughs> grieve with me and weep with me. And come bring some salve, bring, you know, come love me. You know, and, and that's what, what I wanted. But I had to really teach them. You know, I said, we, we, we I would say things like, we're choosing to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our pain is great. That's why I read that, that one part of, uh, you know, to, that you've got to take your emotions and make them subservient. Not that you don't feel the pain, you feel it keenly. You know, but what you have to do is, is put those to the side and then walk in a way that disciplines God. Did God let this happen uh, beyond what you are able in the trial? No. At the time for some of us, we think it is. Right. So that's, that's what I'm trying to say. We're trying to teach people, no, God did not. He said he is faithful. He will not let you be tried past what you can handle. So if you apprehend that right now, and you're able to say, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to rejoice in my suffering. You see, and, and you glorify God and be sorrowful yet rejoicing, like the scriptures say, right? You can be sorrowful yet rejoicing. It's not that you don't feel the pain, but you walk by faith and not by sight. You see, that's what we want to teach people, how to do that in the midst of the trial, you know? And the, and the more you practice it, she lost a twin sister that died of horrific cancer. We were better at it, to, to how to walk through that. We, we lost my mother to horrific cancer. I said, Mom, I don't know why God has chosen for you to go through this. You know, and I saw her pain, and I said, let's try to glorify God in the midst of your pain. Can I help you do that? You know, we walked with her. We had Bible study in her house uh, while she was in her deathbed, <laughs> in the, up to two weeks before she died, because we choose to redeem it. You do that by choice. You see what I'm saying? And, and God, cre- and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I just, it's contextual right now. I'll repeat it. <laughs> but I want you to get where this matters. It matters in the moment. Our faith applied needs to be done in the moment. You know, a friend of mine said, thanks for coming to help, you know, as one of our friends was being uh, operated on. He says, we have some rare opportunities to express love for our friends, and it was something we were trying to do with our friend. And uh, there's rare opportunities that God gives us to glorify his name. Let's not let them pass and say, I'll do that later. It's in the moment your faith matters. How we react when times are hard, because God didn't let this happen to me past what I could handle. Therefore, don't go to the idols. Don't flee to self-pity, drugs, you know, the why me, poor me, woe is me. Right in that moment, you see? All right, let's move on. But thank you. Thank you for that. Because the pain is real. Pain's and the questions real. are real. They're real. That's why you've got to choose to do what you do. It's a real choice that in the moment is supernatural, not natural to do that. Natural is to say, why me, poor me, woe is me. To walk in the spirit is to say, I think differently and I act differently. That's walking in the spirit. Let's, let's go on. Right. Yeah. Well, and when I was talking about uh, asking why, I, I think anybody who was in um, Pastor, Pastor Dunn's uh, teaching this morning, 
He said, there's a difference, a huge difference between saying, why, God, or saying, oh, why, Lord, in trying to humbly accept and understand. That's the difference. But when you're looking at it from a sovereign point of view, knowing that God is purely in control, that the Lord knows everything. He has planned things from the foundations of the earth. I remember the day that, and I don't even know why it came to me. I just have to believe the Lord gave it to me, that um, I just sat up one day and said, you knew. The Lord knew. He knew that my son had 19 years and 10 days on this earth. He knew that. And that Daniel could not go one minute further. He could not go beyond it. The Lord sets our days. He appoints our days. Do we he believe could, that? And we have to decide if we believe it or not. And then we have to decide if God is still good in the midst of that. Is he still loving? Is he still good? Is he wise in our lives? Is he? So as counselors, we should never substitute the doctrine of random chance and luck for the doctrine of divine providence It'll cause the sufferer to, as 1 Timothy 4, 1 says, fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons rather than the doctrine of God. Counselors should teach the sound doctrine of God's providential sovereignty as a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourishing them on the words of faith so that they can be comforted by God's complete loving control of all things in their lives. That's a very profound statement. Right yeah. There. It's yeah. not an easy statement, yeah. but it absolutely will carry, uh, carry a grieving, troubled, struggling person through. It's that walk of faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah, see, but I believe. Yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me yeah. learn how to walk in, in true faith, you see? So God's goodness, justice... Love, wisdom, and providential suffering. That's a big list, isn't it? God's goodness. What do we know about God's goodness? Taste and see mm -hmm. that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen? The Bible tells us the Lord is good. God is good. It tells us many places. Justice. All of his ways are just. Uh, I can't read. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he, from Deuteronomy 32, 4. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. He is kind in all his deeds, Psalm 145, 17. We find these things, these scripture verses, all throughout, talking about these wonderful attributes of God. But suffering people question them. We do. We question them. We're human. We're sinful. We sometimes, a lot of the time, measure God by our yardstick, and he comes up wanting. <laughs> well, guess who's really wanting? We are. Suffering people. Oh, you can go forward now. Thank you. Because God is good. He is loving. Yes, he is just. He is wise all the time. All the time. And all in the Greek means... All. Sorry. It's we're our funny joke, but it's true. One. I think a lot of times, well, that's a joke in our church, but it's really true. A lot of times I think, um, oh, it must mean something different in the Greek. No, it doesn't. The word all means all. It means everything, all-inclusive. It incorporates everything. And sometimes I think we want to make exceptions. We have to be really careful about that. And, and I think, you know, one of the verses uh, it says here in Job 10, 2, through 2 and 3, it says, Job even uh, questioned God. He says, he says, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend with me. Is it right for you indeed to oppress, to reject the labor of your hands, and look favorably on the schemes of the wicked? Now, Job was a blameless and up, upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil, and he even put offerings for his children in case they sinned, right? But even he, in, in, and he had no right, no reason that God had to, uh, to, to discipline him in any way. This was just a, you know, one of those trials that weren't due to the consequence of sin, right? But he even started wearing out a little bit where he said, well, why are you doing this to me? Why do you contend with me? He probably had a, I sit there and I think, well, maybe God's punishing for my son, maybe punish me for some sin so that I could pay more attention to him, you know, and focus on him more. But, but even Job started to wear out in his, in his questioning. And then another verse, Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? 
What is the response? May it never be. May it never be. God's people should never think that there might be injustice with God. I don't want to worship a God who is not just. I don't want to worship a God who is not in perfect control. The God that I worship is sovereign over all, and he comforts me. It's wonderful comfort to know that he's watching, he's with me. I love uh, Psalm 56. I know that God is for me. Bless you. So we move forward. God is infinite, but man is finite. Infinite, without limit, interminable, absolute, going on forever. Finite, that's us. Having limits, we're restricted. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. I think God puts that pretty well, don't you? Mm-hmm. And then this is one, Psalm 50, verse 12. You thought, this is God speaking, you thought that I was just like you. I think that's what we do when we, when we decide that we're angry with God or that we um, want to argue with him or, or complain in an unseemly, untrusting way against the Lord, even when, you know, when things are justifiably hard. We don't want to walk over that line and accuse. That's where we get into trouble. So sufferers must trust and obey in providential, sovereign suffering. The secret things belong to the Lord God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. Those secret things are, why did the Lord do this? Why did the Lord allow this? What is he doing in my life? What is he causing me to do to learn, to grow for his glory? That's what we care about. We want to give all of it to him for his glory. And then we want to concentrate on trusting in God's word. Because I've, how many times we go into counseling and people can finish the verses with us. You know, you can start out, I know the plan that I have for you, and they'll just rip it right off and they go, but that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And the reason they say that is because the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. When you're in trouble, when you're in trials and suffering, you have to make a decision. To, do I believe God? And do I believe what he says? Because if I do, his word will profit me. But if I don't, it's not going to help. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We're not going to understand. And one of my favorite verses, I use it more and more, is Abraham went not knowing. He didn't know. He didn't know what was coming. He didn't know where he was going. But God accounted his going as righteousness. That was his faith. All right, I don't know what's coming, but I'm going to go. The same thing here. All right, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you. One of my favorite verses, this is the only time I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, is Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is my new favorite verse for this week, probably. It changed a lot. But this is a wonderful reminder. I, I just love this verse. It's been transforming for me. I use it with counselors a lot. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The Lord gives us trials. The Lord tests us to find out First of all, are we willing to be humble in the sight of the Lord? Are we willing to have our hearts tested and show ourselves approved of God, to show that we are trusting him, that we are having faith in him, and that we will obey him even when it hurts? That's the question I think that we all need to ask when we're struggling. That verse has carried me through a lot. Um, And really, I think you can probably hand me this and keep going. So, amen. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Right? So, providential, sovereign suffering is for God's glory and man's good. And uh, man was created to bring God glory in all circumstances of life. All circumstances. 
And uh, we were created for God's glory, Isaiah 43, 7 says, right? Everyone who is called by my name and whom I created for my glory. Amen? And, and uh, the glory of God is, can you make more God glorious than he already is? No, he's already glorious. And what we do is we just reflect his image to the world. You see? That's what God created us to do. So um, it's, it's, and then circumstances provide that opportunity for us to do that, to show him, uh, who he, show him for all the, the glorious character that he is, loving, wise, just, holy. You know, and that's what we need to do, reflect his, his glory to people in the circumstances. Uh, Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And 1 Peter 4.11 says, So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever. Um, and I like this verse in 1 Peter 4.16 where it says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not feel ashamed, but in that name glorify God. Amen. And then God inflicts suffering for man's good, too. Uh, and that's to conform him to Christ's image. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, and now I keep your word. For you are, you are good and do good. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. What a progression of thought in Psalm 119. Before I went afflicted, before I was afflicted, I was going away from you, right? But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn the statutes of God. See, The affliction helps us to learn the statutes of God. And here it says that God was faithful afflict them. You see that? Those are powerful, powerful verses in Psalm 119 that talk about uh, being conformed to the image of God and how faithful God is in afflicting us. Did I say God was evil? God is not evil. God is a good and loving God. And we know that God causes all things to work together to good for those who, are call, who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also pre, predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Um, when we realize that God created us to glorify him, and when we start to act in ways that fulfill that purpose, then we begin to experience an intensity of joy in the Lord that we have never known. Therefore, the normal heart attitude of a Christian is rejoicing in the Lord and in the lessons of life that he gives us. Amen? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you have joy in the glory of God, that strength as you purpose in your heart to glorify his name. See, if you're motivated, if God said, hey, would you do something for me? And you, what would you each one here say? You say, yes. He says, you know, in, and what was the devil? And then he says, "Well, I'm going to. I want you to glorify my name by showing me more treasured in your life than this this stewardship that I've allowed you. The stewardship could be what? Anything? It could be intellect. It could be health. It could be a child, a spouse, something you own. And he says, "I want you to take that away from you now, as I'm the owner, but you're only the steward. And then I want you to show me more treasured in your life to the people that you've been made a public spectacle to." And then you can show that you love me more than those things. Does Job love God for nothing, right? Isn't that what we, was the question uh, that Satan asked God? Does Job love, you give him everything he wants, right? And he'll be just fine. But take something from him and see if he still loves you. And he took ten kids. He took his wealth. And then he had inflicted boils on him, right? And then his wife said, what? Foolish man. Curse God and die. And his wife said, foolish woman, you know, what are you talking about? Should we accept, you know, good from God and not adversity? 
Do we want to glorify God? Because it's easy to say you glorify God when things are good, isn't it? Oh, praise the Lord while your belly's full and everything's got a lot of money in your pocket and, you know, and you're golfing every day or whatever you like to do. I like golf when my back's good. But, uh, you know, it's fun. Hey, praise the Lord. God is good, brother. God is good. Right? Is God good all the time? You know? So, you know, this is what we have to remember, that there's this whole idea of, Showing Christ more treasure. When has Christ showed more treasure? When there's really hard times that you love God. Though he slay me, so I will hope in him. You see? Those are, those are, that's when it matters. It matters in the moment. Right? I feel like I'm preaching now. <laughs> but I almost would rather be preaching. <laughs> so, um, I lost my spot on top of it. Okay. Um, okay, so Wayne Grudem says this. What is our purpose in life? Our purpose must be to fulfill the reason God created us, to glorify him. And here's what Jerry Bridges says. Note the twofold objective to God's providence, his own glory and the good of his people. These two objectives are never antithetical. They're always in harmony with each other. God never pursues his glory at the expense of the good of his people nor does he seek our good at the expense of his glory. What comfort and encouragement this should be. Counselors must have a proper theology of suffering to help those God brings to them. Um, and they must ask the question, Satan asked God about Job in nine: Do you serve God for nothing? Or do you serve God only in your comfort and in good times? And uh, the counselee, or us, responds to this trial, reveals how he is doing in the test from God. Guide him as an agent of the Holy Spirit to respond as Job did when he said, Though he slay me, though I will hope in him. Amen? Why is this happening to me? The complexity of, of God's ways may be in, indefinable. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And Deuteronomy 29, 29 again, says, The th- secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we must observe all of the words of the law. Job asked God to explain his suffering and questioned God's wisdom. He says in Job 10, 2 through 4, it says, I will say to God, let me know why you contend with me. Is it right for you indeed to oppress, to reject the labor of your hands? Have you eyes of flesh? And, and God's response was what? The Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You see. The Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty in Job 4, 1 and 2? And then Job had a turn. He, he realized what God was saying. Who are you to answer back to me? You see. Job's silence and repentance. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you now, God. You instruct me. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job now asked God to instruct him. Amen? Job tried to figure it out from his perspective. God says, I'm God, you're man, I'm infinite, you're finite. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And he said, just do what I tell you to do in the faith assignment I've given you to glorify my name. Amen? Can you do that for God? Let's get this quick while we're in the midst of it so we don't waste time not glorifying him and we focus too much on our pitiful being. Right? Why me? Poor me. Woe is me. How you doing, brother? I'm okay. I'll be just fine. 
right? Isn't it sickening? Who wants to be pity? Pity, pity, pity. Stand up. Fight. God loves you. God is wise. You know, in the midst of it. Look at Acts 16 if you want to, you know, it's a whole other message I have. Or or, uh, around midnight, after they were beaten with rods, publicly humiliated, Paul and Silas were thrown in the inner prison, right? And around midnight, they did what? Said, why me, poor me, woe is me. They sang hymns. Their bones were broken, right? They had welts on them. They were humiliated. They were Romans that were, uh, were humiliated. Paul was a Roman. They didn't want to let him go, right? Because they, they found out he was a Roman. And around men, they, they chose by faith to sing praises to God, right? And who was listening? The prisoners were listening, right? And then God's power shook the place, right? And what happened next? The jailer wanted to kill himself. And they said, no, don't do it. We're still here. They shared the gospel with him. And what happened? He got saved. Because they walked by faith and not by sight. They chose the joy of the Lord. They chose to glorify God. Later or in the moment? In the moment. People got saved because they walked by faith and not by sight. God ain't giving you more than you can handle. Glorify him in the moment. And what happened? They went to Lydia's house, and what happened? They ministered to Lydia's house, rather than Lydia's house ministering to them. But we want to be pitied. We want to be, have this sense of, take care of me. I'm hurt. I'm a wounded victim. God didn't make you a victim. I'm not saying he didn't let you suffer, but we're not a, we don't have to be victimized. You see, now I'm preaching. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, but I think that point is well made in Acts 16. Amen? Um, okay. 16 times Job asked why. And, and this is to answer your question. Six, this is out of Jerry Bridges' book. It says, there are 16 times, uh, there are 16 whys in the book of Job, according to author Don Baker. Sixteen times Job asked God why. He is persistent and petulant. He is accusatory toward God. And it has been observed by many that God never answered Job's why. Instead, he answered, who? Who? The upside of doubt. Joseph Stoll says, Job realized that in suffering, the issue is not why. The issue is who? Since Job always knows, since God always knows what he is doing, all we have to know is him. See, when the why swarm around us, when our questions go unanswered, when all the answers seem so shallow, get beyond them to who you can trust God. He'll see you through. Amen. Jesus said, He said, take up your cross, deny yourself. And follow me. That's what we have to do. Deny yourself and what you have as your hopes and dreams of your life. And follow God. And in the moment of what he's given you to glorify his name, walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? What, a, what great opportunities we have daily to glorify God. There's joy in, in the glory of God. The joy of, that, of the Lord is my strength now as I'm purposing to glorify God, no matter what the circumstances. It doesn't matter why. It matters who am I following. Amen? God help us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, to, to act like men and be strong, be firm in your convictions, says in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 13. Job's questions about why he suffered went beyond normal lament to sinful anger and disappointment, which questioned God's holy character. And Job 10, 1 and 2 says, I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul, and I will say to God. And Job 23, 2 says, even today my complaint is rebellion. You see, rebellion. And what does bitterness do to us? It defiles what? The soul. 
I've seen the defilement of souls, brethren. Don't let it happen. Do not be bitter and angry at God. Know he is a loving and good God and rejoice in him. Rejoice in his purpose. You know, count it all joy when we encounter various trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to do what? Produce endurance. And let endurance have its perfect way that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. I better hurry up. My wife's pointing at the clock. All right. (laughs) So, uh, sufferers should not vent. Rather, they should learn to lament. The Psalms record cries of God's people, for the Lord has heard my weeping. They invite us to bring our grief to the one who cares for us more than anyone else ever could. Perhaps you are confused or angry with God. You want to complain about his sovereignty. It is an act of faith to bring that complaint to him in the pattern of these psalms. That's Paul Tripp in the booklet, uh, uh, Grief, Grief, Finding Hope Again. So here's the key. Did, did we say not grieve or, or lament? You know, aren't the psalms, there's Psalm 6, 13, and multiples that say, How long, O Lord? How long will you put me through this? How long? It's just a normal sense of, of sorrow for what's going on. But you could be sorrowful still yet rejoicing, can't you? Sorrowful yet rejoicing, the scriptures challenge us to. But Psalm 13, let's look at the progression. I'll read it, and then we'll look at the progression. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? How sor- having sorrow in my heart all the day, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will give sleep to or enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. In verse 1, we see David reverently asking God how long he will suffer. In verse 2, we see David reverently expressing the pain and sorrow of his heart. It's real. Our pain is very great, Job, they said. David reverently asked God to answer his prayers, to open his eyes. David, in verse 5, says, David trusts in God's loving kindness. In verse 5, he also rejoices in his salvation. In verse 6, David sings to the Lord in worship. In verse 6, he said, David remembers God's bountiful dealings with him in the past. This is a progression of of still trusting in God as you lament. Amen? So let us learn to lament rather than vent. Let us learn to trust God and and obey him. Let us learn to not be overcome with our trials because God didn't give us more than we can handle but he's given us a way of escape that we can endure it, therefore flee flee idolatry. Therefore glorify God in your bodies, right? We've been bought with a price. Glorify God. And there's going to be rewards, brethren, for your faithfulness. Amen? God will reward us here on earth. These are just momentary light afflictions that God has given us, right? But, But we look to the eternal reward that God has. And let's treasure Christ above all else. Is it Christ alone in our life? That's the question. Or is it Christ but something else? Amen? I'd like to say just one more thing very quickly. And I know that this, this is the result of much study, of having walked through tremendous grief and pain, that visceral pain. It felt like there was a knife going from our chest down to our stomach for a year. Um, And just, you know, the tears and the trying to understand all the different things that we went through as we walked through this grief. I believe that we need to be careful as counselors to always remember that Job's counselors in the first week got it right. They sat with him, and they were quiet, and they allowed him to grieve. And it's very important that we've got to acknowledge, we've got to give the care, we've got to make certain that they understand this is big, and I don't negate it. I don't say, oh, well, you should just buck up and get over it. I do understand, and I sympathize, and I walk this road with you. But don't let it go too long before you start talking about God's sovereignty and his perfect control, his goodness, his faithfulness, his justice. 
I believe that's how we help grievers, people who are struggling to walk through and out of any kind of depression or struggle that they're dealing with. We tell people, look, there's a lot we could tell you right now, but we, would, we just want to weep with you. We just want to grieve with you and love you right now. And you keep an eye on them. And, and you'll, know, you know, you'll know the right time to minister. Don't be unwise counselors. They did good the first, like you said, the first period of time. And then, then they started to, 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 to make mistakes in their approach to them. But ultimately, the theology has to remain. We do not change our thinking because of the pain. We just learn to, we learn to minister to people. So any questions? I've got a few minutes maybe. Any thoughts? Yeah, venting is just saying, I would say venting is just saying, why is this happening to me? You know, I cannot believe it, Lord. I've been so good to you. I serve in the church. I'm an elder. I started this church. Why did you let my son die in a community that I was transformed in and was building a testimony? You see? Or, Lord, I grieve the loss of my son. Um... I, I'm trusting in what you have done in the past in my life, you see. And I know that you want to glorify me, your name through me. Help me, Lord, to be faithful and wait upon you. Actually, I didn't, I didn't vent. I don't know why. I, God gave me grace. I, I stood in front of everybody with, with my gut open and pro- proclaimed the goodness of God from the moment he died. And that's why I'm saying do it in the moment. It will have the longest lasting impact. That's what Joseph Stoll said. He said, he said, uh, uh, he says, glorify, you know, by discipline, glorify, you know, just act in a way that would best glorify God. It will bring the most few fruits, you know, in the end. And I just walked by faith knowing that God was in control. I didn't understand the magnitude of what's going on. Why were the police calling me, you know? I'm sorry, why were the news channels calling me? Because it was caught on dash cam. And I said, okay, Lord, if, it's, if you want it to be public, then I'll redeem that, too, for your glory. And then we got, I got kidney stones the night we put him down. And I was almost going to miss his funeral. And you know what I said? Then, Lord, send the boy. I said, send the boy. I'm here. Let's go. I want to glorify your name. I knew those were boils in the moment because I knew the word of God. Am I bragging about myself? No, I'm telling you, God wants us to glorify his name, be ready for the fight, and kick the devil in the butt and, and let uh, redeem it for the glory of God. Satan meant it for evil. God meant it for good, right? Though he slay me. I know my God can deliver me, but if he doesn't, I'm still not going to serve your idol, and that's not going to steal my joy. I have an inner peace in my soul knowing that God is in control. Amen? You may not like it, but whose dream are we living for? Job said, my very hopes and my very dreams are gone. His dream. Whose dream do we live? We live in God's dream for us? God interrupting your plans? Is God, you know what I'm saying? God interrupted. I had, you know, the, the, the perfect American family. You know, I was in a business, two kids, the dog, a beautiful wife, involved in the church. God interrupted my plans. You know, and then he said there's the grief as the loss of an only, only son in Jeremiah. Thank you, God, that it was my only son. It's an added grief that I could bring for your glory. What else? Give me a stone. What else you got? If you want it, I'll take it. Because you're in control. The devil's a puppet. He does nothing. He had to go to God every time, didn't he? Didn't he? He said, do this, but don't do that. Right? So enough. All right. <laughs> I think we got to stop. <laughs> So, Father, we thank you for this time. I uh, pray, Lord, that um, even as uh, Hebrews 11.4 said, even though Abel is dead, his faith still speaks. I pray that the faith that you've given us grace to have will speak into the hearts of these, those in attendance, Father, because it is by your grace. But we also have to challenge us to be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. Father, help us to live our faith by the way we're disciplined and what we know about you and help us to take our emotions and make them subservient and walk in the power of your might as athletes and as warriors in this day, Father. The days are evil, Lord. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to glorify your name, Lord. 
Help us not to treasure the things of this world that you've only given us on loan, I pray. Help us to take every faith assignment you've given us. And Lord, use it for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name.